Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the Sea Report for Tuesday, February 9th. This is your host, Mr. C, and here is today's news. Hello, hello! How is everyone doing out there on this Tuesday afternoon and evening? This is Mr. C with the C Report brought to you by Q&A Holes Podcast. Make sure you visit us at qandaholespodcast.com and uh, join us on Spreaker to hear all of our news reports live when they go and otherwise whenever we put them up. Um, you know, we also have... Uh, the Q&A Holes News Break with Joe 102, which happens also Monday through Friday, giving you um, headlines, 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 and other important news, as well as the Q&A Holes podcast call-in show on Wednesday and on Saturday, and the Mr. C and Magadon show on Thursday evenings. Anyways, I hope you guys uh, are having a great one. We're going to get straight to the headlines. As always, with the C-Report, Trump leads the news. A group led by longtime Trump attorney argues impeachment trial unconstitutional. This written by Janita Khan. It says, a group led by former President Donald Trump's longtime attorney, Jay Asekolo, on Monday submitted a legal analysis arguing that the impeachment trial violates the U.S. Constitution. The group argues that a plain text reading of relevant provisions of the Constitution would only allow sitting presidents to be impeached. They say that this reading of the Constitution is backed up by Chief Justice John Roberts' decision to not preside over the trial. Roberts is required to preside over trials against presidents under Article 1, Section 3. The Chief Justice did not provide the reason for not presiding, but legal scholars surmise that it was likely because Trump is no longer president. And uh, they go on to argue, <clears throat> if the text, the President of the United States, in the constitutional provisions requiring the Chief Justice to preside can refer only to the sitting president and not to former presidents, then the textual identification of the president contained in Article 2, Section 4, which makes the president amenable to impeachment in the first place, also excludes any other than the sitting president, they argue. The House has argued that although Trump has already left office, his conduct stipulated in the charge against him occurred when he was in office. But the group contended, this argument does not in any way alter the Constitution's clear textual identification of the president. The group has also refuted the opposition argument that the framers of the Constitution intended to include impeachments of former officials because it was the practice of the British Parliament which provided inspiration to the Founding Fathers. But the fact that early states did expressly provide for late impeachment and the fact that the National Constitution did not actually support the very opposite conclusion, they said. The framers were aware of the practice, and unlike the states that expressly allowed it, they chose not to accept it. They added, The founders implicitly rejected the British model that allowed Parliament to impeach anyone, even private citizens, except for the king, and so they limited impeachment to certain public officials, including presidents. They say that subjecting Trump, who has returned to private citizen life, to impeachment would violate this constitutional principle. So here, here, here you go again. We have the impeachment trial of Donald Trump kicking off today, and we have some of the aforementioned... <clears throat> 
arguments that will be to and for the impeachment of Donald Trump. But of course, here we have this opening argument that it's totally unconstitutional anyways, which is exactly why President Donald Trump will not be... President Donald Trump will not be attending this impeachment. However, that does lead one to argue if Trump were to attend this impeachment as a presiding president, does that technically mean that he is still the president? And is it because of the subterfuge of a sham in a sham impeachment and a coup against the president of the United States that these people are trying to get him legally bound in a sideshow circus that would end in his restriction from government activity in his living years because everyone knows that once he dies you know he Maybe voting Democrat, but at least he'll be voting and uh, maybe they'll let the ghost of Trump run for uh, office again. Because once you die, you know, you become a Democrat. So this is just I'm sorry, but this is just an interesting this is just an interesting um, turn of events, I guess you could say, because, you know, he isn't the president. He didn't do anything that's impeachable. He didn't incite. He did not incite and I repeat, did not incite a riot. What was witnessed there was total shenanigans. I call shenanigans on the September, I mean, on. The, I was going to say I call shenanigans on the September 11th. I'm sorry. I call shenanigans on the January 6th electoral vote count day false flag coup operation insurrection. I call shenanigans because let me tell you what, he didn't do anything to incite any type of riot and evidence shows everything to the contrary. And here you have these people trying to impeach him on the basis of British law and British uh, um, judicial standing. Hello, this is the United States of America. There's a reason why we have the Constitution. Otherwise, we would have just brought the Magna Carta and all of her sisters along to uh, the United States and, um, you know, so then what was the point, right? If we're going to go ahead and follow British law, Mr. Joaquin Castro, Mr. Joaquin Castro, if we are going to follow British law, why did we even write the Constitution? Was it only about getting away from the central banks that controls the government and the crown of England and therefore also controls the crown colonies of the United States of America back henceforth in 1770 and 60. You know, this is just too much to think about, but ultimately speaking, the framers of the Constitution did not accept British precedents per judiciary when it came to impeaching public officials who are now private citizens, including presidents. So, Mr. Joaquin Castro, please do be aware that if uh, Mr. President Trump, who is still president, so technically you could call him and he could go as the actual president, and if you get away with it, well then, even if your cover's blown, you could say, well, we impeached him. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Joaquin Castro, but as your party clearly showed, you will not be able to get away with it because just as your fake and phony Russian dossier that kicked off the FISA gate warrant and investigations was fake, false and phony to borrow from Dave of X-22. Um, just as that is the case, just as that is fake, and so therefore makes the entire impeachment of Donald Trump null and void, and makes the entire witch hunt of Donald Trump null and void, and by virtue of pattern of your own actions makes your party obvious with a bias for having uh, intentionally tried to take this man out from presidential office from day one, if not before then, 
that you guys are guilty of running a coup operation and treason, whether in the light or in the heavy, against this nation, the United States of America, and the American people and the United States Constitution. And we will not stand by it. And in our media, our legacy media even, the individuals out there who have spun the yarns of the international financiers for decades, even they have laid a paper trail of receipts about your crimes against this country, treason, and humanity. And we will use those as well in reflection of how we we will regard moving forward with your actions. But treason, you know them Dems. You know them Democrats are pushing to remove that... uh, that um you know that uh capital punishment they are they are pushing hard to remove the death penalty and do you know why they're pushing hard to remove the death penalty because death is the only answer to the kind of treason these people have committed in selling out this country and selling out the people And basically just gutting it for all it's worth, not even caring that they are actually assisting, they are aiding and abetting a group of criminal minds that are doing this throughout the entire world, but it doesn't matter to them because they're getting theirs in the meantime. They're getting theirs while they can. And then, you know, God forget America. That's how they see it. But you can bet we're going to go after Obama and we're going to go after Clinton. We're going to go after Bush. If you think that you can impeach a president post-election, do you ever wonder why they never tried? Maybe it's because they couldn't. And I think, uh, Mr. Joaquin Castro, you and your impeachment managers will probably find that out sooner than later. On the next story, 24 judges stepping down so Biden can replace them. I don't like the sound of this title. Uh, I believe this is from the Associated Press. 24 federal judges are claiming senior status. Most in an effort to give Democrat President Joe Biden an opportunity to appoint the replacement, according to multiple media reports. When including federal judges that had already taken senior status before Biden was elected, there are now more than 70 appointments waiting to be filled, Breitbart reports. Though one judge said his decision had nothing to do with politics, the San Francisco Chronicle noted, it seems like no coincidence that out of 24 federal judges who have taken senior status or announced intentions to do so since Election Day, 17 were appointed by Democrat presidents. Most of them were eligible for senior status during Donald Trump's presidency, but chose to wait. An unidentified Ninth Circuit judge told the Los Angeles Times Clinton judges across the country have just been holding on for a Democrat to appoint their successor. Trump appointed 54 appeals court judges in his one term, only one less, pre- one less than President Barack Obama appointed in two terms in office. Trump was also to name conservative judges was also able to name conservative judges to the traditionally liberal Ninth Circuit as well as other circuits. So very interesting story there. We see that okay, as the story went down, uh, Trump in four years appointed three hundred plus judges on all levels of the ju- judiciary branch. Federal, local, circuit, state. Um, he appointed over 300 and also all the ways up to obviously to the highest house in the judiciary branch, the Supreme Court. 
Um, that is what Trump did in four years, over 300. Obama had left him over 150, over, and that's being nice, over 150 uh, empty seats of um, judges for the judiciary branches. And now we see uh, here that 24 of them are stepping down. And most of these people are claiming, I guess this is, um, this is uh, I guess they're going into retirement to go uh, see the sunset on the green pastures. And that is basically what's going on here. Um, I thought that was interesting that, you know, some of them held on until there was a Democrat that would be able to appoint him. But I guess that's, you know, that, my friend, is is what I call conviction. But uh, we see we have a we have a Biden doing um, 70 appointments. He's uh, 70 appointments waiting to be filled is what he has. So let's see if uh, the Democrats will not have to catch up on appointing judges. We'll see what happens. I'm uh, glad to note that most of these people are stepping down because they're going into retirement and they're not stepping down like kamikazes who are just wanting to destroy the hard work that President Trump put into creating this judiciary. This next article highlights the, again, ever ponderous and questionable questionability of one retired General Lloyd Austin. As we talked about on the Sea Report before, Lloyd Austin, a Biden appointee as Secretary of Defense, has come under question to his loyalty in ensuring that the military will fulfill its constitutional duty constitutional duty in the wake of the coup that took place during the 2020 presidential election. Now, the article from Breitbart News says Representative Bob Whitman on Lloyd Austin. What is the definition of extremism? Breitbart News senior editor at large, Joel Pollack, asked Representative Rob Whitman, Representative Republican of Virginia, about Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin's claim that extremism in the military necessitates a 60-day stand-down order across the armed services to address. I'm very concerned about Lloyd Austin, Polak stated on Sirius XM's Breitbart News Sunday. He got a waiver from Congress just like James Mattis did. Lloyd Austin said some really astonishing things in his confirmation hearing. He talked about enemies within the military. And now we're going to pause military operations over the next 60 days to make sure that there are no extremists. And by this, I mean, they mean extremists on the right within the military. Pollack continued, The military is the most diverse institution in America, so I don't know why they think they're going to find a bunch of white supremacists in the military. I think it's kind of a democratic prejudice against the armed forces and law enforcement in general. I'm very concerned about Lloyd Austin, Pollack added. I don't think he's doing a good job. I think he's doing a terrible job. I wish I shared your confidence, but to come in and say your first act is going to be this political purge of the military. I understand getting rid of people like Major Nadal Hassan, Islamic extremists. And if you've got information on white supremacists in the military, get them out. But we're going to pause our military readiness of our entire force to ferret out people who might have had some reservations about the November 3rd election? I think this is crazy. Whitman noted the nebulousness of the term extremism and called for transparency in defining such a term with clear parameters. Whitman replied, When we're standing down, what message does that send to our adversaries? What is our posture around the world when we're looking to deter our enemies if, they look, if they're looking at a standing down? I think the stand-down order also creates potentially at risk, Whitman added, and then I would want to know, and I think other members of the Armed Services Committee want to know too, is what is the definition of extremism? 
We understand when members and military come in, they go through a security background check to make sure that there's nothing there that would be of issue in them serving the nation. Whitman said that Austin's call for removing extremism from the military does not become political screening. Whitman remarked, I do not want to see an effort where this does indeed become political. I want to make sure we understand that. That needs to be transparent. It needs to be thoughtful and we need to fully understand what are the definitions they're using. If they do separate somebody, why do they separate them? We must understand what was the reasoning behind it so we can see that it's not political. What is this evaluation of extremism? Whitman added, what is this stand down? What is this evaluation of extremism? What is the definition of extremism? Austin's memo, titled Stand Down to Address Extremism in the Ranks, does not define the extremism ostensibly addressed by the Secretary's 60-day stand-down order. He described the measure as the beginning of a broader campaign against extremism. Austin wrote, We will not tolerate actions that go against the fundamental principles of the oath we share including actions associated with extremist or dissident ideologies. This stand-down is just the first initiative of what I believe must be a concerted effort to better educate ourselves and our people about the scope of this problem and to develop sustainable ways to eliminate the corrosive effects that extremist ideology and conduct have on the force. Last week, Austin issued a military-wide order for commanders to spend the next 60 days discussing extremism with military personnel. Well, 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 what an interesting article that is. Um, It seems uh, that Mr. Retired General, I have a lot of money in defense contracts and other type of contracts that you know, our producers for defense contractors and arms producers, Lloyd Austin. Seems that he is now ordering the military to stand down over the next 60 days, so this way he can weed out extremists in the military. Could extremists possibly be Trump supporters in the military? Well... If anybody in the military can hear this, now is the time to let your buddies know something is afoot. Something smells rotten in the state of Denmark. Lloyd Austin and his 10th Mountain Battalion have taken over the military and are essentially commanding the entire armed forces to stand down in the face of a coup. that has stolen the freedom and the vote and the right of the American people and has completely undermined the vision and the means that the forefathers had when they first constituted this democratic republic. So please keep this in mind, ladies and gentlemen. You know... You know, eagle one down, eagle one down, America. Flags are running up the pole upside down. We are totally unconstituted. We have a foreign entity on our sovereign land and we need to do something about it. Well, let's see what's up next in the news. In our next story, quick on the heels of uh, retired General Lloyd Austin's uh, 60-day suspension of military activity across all branches. Um, Mimi Nguyen Lai reports Senate confirms Kathleen Hicks as Deputy Defense Secretary. Uh, 
The Senate late Monday confirmed Kathleen Hicks, a former Obama administration official, as Deputy Secretary of Defense. The Senate Armed Services Committee, SASC, confirmed Hicks for the position by a voice vote after approving her nomination on February 4th. Hicks, 50, was previously nominated... um, Pardon was previously a deputy undersecretary of defense under the Obama administration. More recently, she led Biden's transition team at the Pentagon. Prior to her nomination as deputy secretary, defense secretary, she led the international security program at the Carter at the Center for Strategic and International Studies (CSIS) and was also the think tank's senior vice president. At a hearing to consider her nomination last week, Hicks told the Senate Armed Services Committee that China and Russia are among the top challenges for the United States. Armed conflict between the United States and China is not desirable, and it is not inevitable. The U.S. military plays a critical role in preventing that outcome, she said. Recently appointed Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, a retired military general, had pledged to rescue himself from any decisions related to U.S. company Raytheon Technologies while serving as Defense Secretary because he previously served on the Defense Contractors Board of Directors. As such, prog- uh, programmatic decisions involving Raytheon will be overseen by Hicks and involve at least two nuclear initiatives, a new nuclear cruise missile called the Long Range Standoff Weapon, or the LRSO, for which Raytheon is a prime contractor, and a replacement program for the country's intercontinental ballistic missiles called the Ground-Based Strategic Deterrent, or the GBSD, for which Raytheon's subsidiary is a subcontractor. Hicks is the first woman to be confirmed as the country's Deputy Defense Secretary. So it looks like it's another first for president-select, the illegitimate president of the United States, Joe Biden. Um, I could only pray that Kathleen Hicks is a white hat in disguise, a patriot sleeper cell there to make sure that retired general, um, you know, a buccaneer, (laughs) uh, General Lloyd Austin, um, um, stays on the straight and narrow but her having been a former obama appointee i seem to feel a little deflated in that notion the article concludes hicks also said at the confirmation hearing that she is concerned by the extreme consolidation of weapons producers and suppliers in the united states Yes, I am concerned, she said when asked about the matter by Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat, Connecticut, adding extreme consolidation does create challenges for innovation. Good answer. We need to have a lot of different ideas out there. That's our competitive advantage and over authoritarian states. That's our competitive advantage over authoritarian states like China and Russia. And so if we move all competition out, obviously that's a challenge for the taxpayer. But it's also a challenge in terms of the innovation piece, she added. Blumenthal had mentioned that the number of submarine suppliers had decreased over recent decades from 17,000 to 5,000, and how the phenomenon suggested that there are problems facing the defense industrial base. I am hoping you will focus on the supply chain that is vitally important to suppliers like Electric Boat or Raytheon or any other major sources of supply, Blumenthal said. He also noted that Hicks had committed to help small suppliers as well as develop new suppliers. So you see, this is all just riddled with junk. If you just follow the money and the people whose names are attached like a toe tag to that money, you will see where all of this goes. I mean, this you see they have how they have revolving doors of people in office who go into firms and work on boards and go into office and make laws on the regulations that those boards and firms have in the same business and then go into some other office of government that maybe it's not about making the legislation maybe it's about actually implementing it like something for i don't know a green issue and they're doing the same thing with the supply contractors and the defense contractors and the military so now you have 
um, you have uh, someone who sat on the board of Raytheon who didn't go through his cooling period who received a waiver just as Mattis did and we all saw how we all saw how Mattis ended up right okay so we have this going on with Austin doesn't go through a cooling period was a former a formerly sitting on the board of Raytheon okay and then we also have Esper who was just directly a preceding defense secretary also having ties to Raytheon and then you have Senator Blumenthal telling um, Hicks who will be directly in charge of making sure that Austin walks the straight and narrow and doesn't do any favors for Raytheon while acting, you know, uh, Secretary of Defense, while being the Secretary of Defense, like, say, oh, maybe going to war to pump more government money into Raytheon so they can uh, move the war machine and make him and all of his buddies some money. That's what we're talking about here. Um, We have Senator Blumenthal telling Hicks, who's supposed to be that gatekeeper, I'm hoping you will focus on the supply chain that is vitally important to suppliers like Electric Boat or Raytheon. So in other words, we're going to make sure that Lloyd Austin doesn't do anything that could be, oh, I don't know, unethical or, you know, maybe uh, something in favor or illegal for his company and his shareholders and his friends. We're going to make sure he doesn't do that by telling the woman in charge of that issue to make sure that the company that he once served on the board of makes money and that we focus on sending them as suppliers. (sighs) Guys... This is just too ridiculous. I mean, I can understand why some people would get upset reading this news over the air. All right, guys. Yeah, I know. That's just something else. Keep an eye on Lloyd Austin. And if you're active military out there, you might want to consider everything that you were told by your president, Donald Trump, when he was optically your president in office. And that is never give up and never stand down because these people are pulling one over on us. And just by the fact that they have so many people outside of the United States that pull the strings, that's how they're still moving this puppet marionette, even though the head, (laughs) even though the head, or maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe the brain (laughs) is behind, is behind a, uh, is behind a chastity belt but they're still moving all the legs, but the brain ain't working no more. The brain, the brain is, uh, is in lockdown. The brain is in lockdown and it's making phone calls from its, ja- uh, from its uh, basement and its jammy jams to people around the world to try and set up negotiations. But uh, that bee ain't flying. So keep that in mind. All right, we have some Second Amendment news today for you guys. This comes from the National File. Lapdog Marco Rubio unveils laws that would ban guns for anyone ever investigated for domestic terrorism. Uh, The article says on February 2nd, Rubio reintroduced the bill he has been published. He has been pushing since the Orlando Pulse radical Islamic terrorist attack in 2016. The bill calls for stripping individuals under investigation for domestic terrorism of their ability to own or purchase firearms. A move Rubio somehow suggests would also provide more authority for law enforcement agencies to go after suspected terrorists while safeguarding law-abiding citizens' Second Amendment and due process rights. According to Rubio's website, the bill would, when an individual who wants, who was the subject of a federal terrorism investigation within the last 10 years tries to obtain a firearm, allow the U.S. Attorney General to delay the purchase or transfer for up to 10 business days and file an emergency petition in court to prevent the transfer. 
if the court finds probable cause that the individual is or has been engaged in terrorism, the attorney general may arrest the individual. Under the Biden regime, the current attorney general is Merrick Garland, who has fantasized about taking guns from American citizens since the early 2000s. Rubio re-entered the bill during the hysteria following the Capitol Hill protest on January 6th, during which the only death by firearm was Ashley Babbitt, who was slain by a D.C. police officer. The officer will face no punishment. This comes as past intelligence officials who are friendly to the Joe Biden regime essentially classify the overwhelming majority of Republicans as domestic terrorists. Very interesting there, Mr. Marco Rubio, Republican. We all know Marco Rubio is just one of those pony boy whipping tail people for all of the um, elites and um, uh, financially and socially uh, uh, higher ups who need someone to play with every now and then. That's all Marco Rubio is. And uh, yeah, you know, Marco Rubio there in Florida. Hey, you know, I'm surprised, um, um, you know, this incident didn't happen uh, in uh, his uh, district. Uh, but uh, what well, we have, we have the Orlando Pulse that happened. What was that was like in, uh, I don't know, Sunflower District or something like that. Then we had the Broward County incidents, the Parkland shooting, and now the uh, the Daniel Alpin shooting. So uh, Florida's really a hot place for all of that stuff. But, you know, here you, here it just goes to show that um, even even if they are a Republican red rhino or otherwise just Republican, someone like Marco Rubio is still going to try and um, impede on your constitutional and unalienable rights. Uh, your Second Amendment right, your right to defend yourself. Under what grounds? I mean, that is totally questionable. You know, that is, that is not correct. Now, the next issue... <laughs> The next issue of gun control comes from one Sheila Jackson Lee. And Sheila Jackson Lee's new gun control bill is horrendous. So says the right scoop. Now, the right scoop says Sheila Jackson Lee has a new gun control bill that is, in a word, horrendous. It not only creates a gun registry, but demands that you have a license to own a firearm or ammunition. Fox News says, Texas Democrat Republican, uh, sorry, Texas Democrat Representative Sheila Jackson Lee has proposed a gun control bill that would create a national firearm registry, set a minimum gun ownership age at 21, and both require licensing and psychological evaluations. The proposed Sabika Sheik Firearm Licensing and Registration Act would make it a crime to possess a firearm or ammunition without the new license or sell one to someone who doesn't have the license. It also requires gun owners to pay for insurance and bans ammunition of 50 caliber or greater. Except for law enforcement and a limited range of security personnel. Forcing people to get a government-issued license in order to own a gun is blatantly unconstitutional and downright un-American. The American government doesn't get to pick and choose who owns a gun because we all know that's what this is really about. Nope. It continues. The bill would give the U.S. Attorney General jurisdiction over licensing through the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Gun owners would also have to complete a government training course, have a clean record, and register their firearms with the federal government. Registry information would be available to law enforcement from the local to the federal level as well as the U.S. military. A government training course? A clean record? These are nothing more than impediments to make it harder for law-abiding Americans to own a gun. There would also be special license needed for certain semi-automatic rifles and handguns. 
So this is quite, quite the story that we have developing here from uh, Miss Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. My goodness. But there's more. The display of antique firearm in one's home would require a federal firearms license and an additional license under the proposed law. There would also be a license for military-style weapons, which the bill defines as a broad range of semi-automatic rifles and handguns, as well as some shotguns. And anyone who has ever been hospitalized due to mental illness drug or alcohol abuse, homicidal or suicidal thoughts, or a brain disease would not be eligible to obtain a firearms license. The psychological evaluation process would also take into account the psychological condition of other members of the licensee's household, current and former spouses, relatives, and associates. Several have already responded to the ridiculousness of this, including Governor Greg Abbott. This is an example why I want to make Texas a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Gun control bill from Representative Sheila Jackson Lee would create national firearm registries require licensing. We must erect a complete barrier to gun regulations like this. And that is my governor, Greg Abbott. And that is ridiculous. You see, um, a lot of what Miss Sheila Jackson Lee is asking for in this uh, law or this bill she's trying to pass, which is ridiculous. Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, I say unto thee now, stand down. Ho. Because, look, the psychological evaluation, a psychological evaluation including anyone in your household, your former or current spouse, your relatives, your associates, whether you've had a record of drug use or alcohol abuse, whether you've been homicidal or suicidal, anything, anything, anything for any reason. Maybe uh, maybe you jaywalked. Yeah, I think that's a good reason to restrict you from because you didn't exercise good judgment when you jaywalked because you didn't use the crosswalk like good little sheeple and pony citizens should. But that these are examples of red laws. You know, those are those are red gun laws. You're like you don't you don't want those. These are the kinds of things that even people like Dan Crenshaw over at District 3 Texas, what's you over there? Hey Dan, you buddy buddy with uh, Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, you look about the right age, Dan, to be buddy buddy with Miss Sheila Jackson Lee because let me tell you what Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, we've talked about her before. She's been, she's she's become quickly a a lifetime representative, a lifetime congressman. She's a lifer. She's a lifer. She's been there since 1995. She's quickly, uh, she's she's hit the 20 year mark. She's quickly approaching the 30 year mark in Congress, Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, and you know. Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, the reason why I brought her up before, and I'm glad that she's in the news again, because we need people like this in the news where we can shine the light on them. Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, I have seen, and this is the humble speculative opinion of one Mr. C here on the Sea Report brought to you by QDayHillsPodcast.com, is that Miss Sheila Jackson Lee has sported pedophilia paraphernalia, jewelry. I have pictures of her wearing an obvious pedophilia boy lover ring. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you don't know what I mean. Go look it up because there's one thing to have a triangle with a triangle, but then there's another thing to have one that looks exactly like exactly to the T, the boy lover triangle. So, and you know, I was like, when I found this out, I was like, I looked at, I looked at representative Sheila Jackson Lee and I was like, that, that, ooh, I was like, ooh, there ain't no way Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, a boy lover, but maybe back in 1995, almost 30 years ago, she could have been. And uh, she's done nothing but wrong and harm to our country. I would say based on this type of law and based on all of her actions and behavior during Trump's optically public presidential administration, that she should be held up on charges of sedition 
and she should be done away with. But either way, can we get someone over to Houston in Houston to um, to stand in for Miss Jackson Lee whenever we decide to replace her for being an illegal representative of the United States of America and for being illegally voted in where all 50 states suffered and were subject victims of fraud and foreign interference in the 2020 presidential election. Alright, we're going to use the rest of our uh, session here at the Sea Report to round out some of the stories I've been trying to get out for a week or so. So this is going to be a little bit of catch up here. This story comes from the Associated Press. It's international. Attempted coup foiled in Haiti. Justice minister. This is out of uh, Port-au-Prince. Haitian authorities said Sunday they had foiled an attempt to murder President Jovenel Moise and overthrow the government as a dispute rages over when his term ends. The plot was an attempted coup d'etat, according to Justice Minister Rockefeller Vincent, with authorities saying at least 23 people have been arrested, including a top judge and an official from the national police. I thank my head of security at the palace. The goal of these people was to make an attempt on my life, Moise said. The plan was aborted. Moise has been governing without any checks on his power for the past year and has and says he remains president until February 7th, 2022. In an interpretation of the Constitution rejected by the opposition, which has led protesters asserting his term ends Sunday. The United States on Friday accepted the president's claim to power with State Department spokesman Ned Price saying... Washington is urged free and fair legislative elections, free and fair legislative elections so that Parliament may resume its rightful role. The dispute over when the president's term ends stems from Moise's original election. He was voted into office in a poll later cancelled on grounds of fraud and then elected again a year later in 2016. After the latter disputed election, demonstrations demanding his resignation intensified in the summer of 2018. Voting to elect deputies, senators, mayors, and local officials should have been held in 2018, but the polls have been delayed, triggering the vacuum in which Moise says that he is entitled to stay for another year. In recent years, angry Haitians have demonstrated against what they call rampant government corruption corruption, and unchecked crime by gangs. In a letter Friday to the UN mission in Haiti, a dozen or so human rights and women's advocacy groups faulted it for providing technical and logistical support for the president's plan to hold a constitutional reform referendum in April, then presidential and legislative elections. The United Nations must under no circumstances support President Jovenel Moise in his anti-democratic plans, the letter said. So that's very interesting because you see we have a lot of turmoil in governments right now as per... Um, elected officials and even races in general. I think I would dare say there's not a single country that doesn't go through some kind of turmoil during an election season. And because of the fact that we have basically, you know, election rigging assassins who are able to stealthily take over all elections with the assistance of their bought and paid for Um, deep state run and operative legacy media, corporate media, any type of media, any type of large corporate media are, are owned by these people. Don't forget, six corporations own all media that you see, regardless of how obscure or unique it is. If you see it on TV, if you see it on your computer, 
and I mean, I mean by the big boys, the big networks, not by not by like a, a random rare YouTube person, even though they're uh, they're broadcasting on one of the big big boys networks. But um, it's all controlled by the same people. Now, you guys might have heard some of this news, so you'll pardon me, but we will fit it onto the C report before we close out the day, or at least close out the session. Uh, this one comes from Fox News. Tucker, uh, Tucker Carlson, Bank of America handed over their customers' data to the feds after Capitol protest. Now, I heard about this, and this is something that apparently just happened, where without even any type of consent, the Bank of America handed all of their members' data over to uh, people in the government because it was a request. Uh, let's see, from Fox News, Tucker Carlson tonight has exclusively obtained evidence that Bank of America, the second largest bank in the country with more than 60 million customers, is actively but secretly engaged in the hunt for extremists in cooperation with the government. Bank of America is, without the knowledge or the consent of its customers, sharing private information with federal law enforcement agencies. Bank of America effectively is acting as an intelligence agency, but they're not telling you about it. In the days after the January 6th riot at the Capitol, Bank of America went through its own customers' financial and transaction records. These were the private records of Americans who had committed no crime. People who, as far as we know, had absolutely nothing to do with what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. But at the request of federal investigators, Bank of America searched its database looking for people who fit a specific profile. Here's what that profile was. One, customers confirm, confirmed as transacting either through bank account, debit card, or credit card purchases in Washington, D.C. between 1-5 and 1-6. Two, purchases made for hotel, Airbnb, RSVPs in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland after 1-6. Three, any purchase of weapons or at a weapons-related merchant between 1-7 and their upcoming suspected stay in D.C. area around Inauguration Day. 4. Airline-related purchases since 1-6. The first thing you should notice about the profile is that it's remarkably broad. Any purchases of anything in Washington, D.C., any overnight stay anywhere in an area spanning three jurisdictions and hundreds of miles, any purchase not just of legal firearms, but anything bought from a weapons-related merchant, t-shirts included, and any airline-related purchases, not just flights to Washington, but flights to anywhere from Omaha to Thailand. That is a very, very wide net and absurdly wide net. But Bank of America identified a total of 211 customers who met these thresholds of interest. At that point, Tucker Carlson tonight has learned Bank of America turned over the results of its internal scan to federal authorities, apparently without notifying the customers who were being spied upon. The federal investigators then interviewed at least one of these unsuspecting people. That person, we've learned, hadn't done anything wrong and was cleared. Imagine if you were that person. The FBI hauls you in for questioning in a terror investigation, not because you've done anything suspicious, but because you bought plane tickets and visited your country's capital. Now they're swearing you. They're sweating you because your bank, which you trust with your most private information, has ratted you out to the feds without your knowledge. Because Bank of America did that, you are being treated like a member of Al-Qaeda. Bank of America was one of the many influence-buying megacorporations who swiftly issued a virtue-signaling statement last month condemning the Capitol protests, Carlson reported Thursday night on Fox News. So, very interesting. You know, it's a good thing I don't bank with Bank of America or any of its subsidiaries because then my shit would have been totally, totally turned over. And dang, I almost made it to the end of the episode without swearing. Here's a quick headline. AOC email supporters asks them to mass report people who tweeted hashtag Alexandria Ocasio Smollett. Uh -huh. This just brings joy to my heart. Alexandria Ocasio Smollett 
this woman, she is so crazy. I mean, we this is an older story. Like I said, this is from last week and it's silly. But, you know, it seems that Alexandria, the cop caller, always keeps her receipts. She's like, put them on a list. Put them on a list. Put them on a list because we're going to get them later. That is the way to think, Miss Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That is the way to think. Oh, my goodness. This is just too much for me. Too, too much. Alrighty, last two stories to wrap up the night. Here we have Breaking... One American News offers Lou Dobbs job after Fox News fired him following a $2.7 billion Smartmatic lawsuit. Now, I have to present this article only because my heart goes out to Daddy Lou Dobbs. I felt so bad. I was like, Daddy Lou Dobbs is one of my favorites ever since I was a babe. And then Daddy Lou Dobbs gets fired. No, Daddy Lou Dobbs. From the National File, Tom Papert reports... One American News Network CEO, Robert Herring, seemingly offered a job to former Fox Business host Lou Dobbs after his former network fired him following a lawsuit from Smartmatic, one of the voting machine companies accused of being complicit in widespread fraud in the 2020 election. One American News would like Lou Dobbs to get in contact with us, wrote Herring. We may have a position available for you in which you wouldn't be censored for speaking the truth. Dobbs show was canceled by Fox Business after he and Fox News were served a $2.7 billion lawsuit from Smartmatic, National File reported. In a statement, Fox claimed that the decision to end Lou Dobbs tonight was part of a wider revamp of the network's schedule. Fox News media regularly considered programming changes and plans have been in place to launch new formats as appropriate post-election, including on Fox Business. This is part of those planned changes. A new 5 p.m. programming will be announced in the near future, a Fox person told Politico. CNN described the decision to cancel the show as a head-scratching move given he often doubled the ratings of his lead in a rare feat in television. To cancel one of their most successful shows out of nowhere would certainly be confusing if it wasn't for the fact that Lou Dobbs and Fox were currently parties in a lawsuit from Smartmatic, a voting company that claims Dobbs and two other Fox hosts defamed them. The lawsuit filed in New York State Supreme Court is chasing $2.7 billion in damages from, from Dobbs, Fox, and other hosts Maria Bartiromo and Jean Pereiro. Janine Pirro, along with Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell for alleging the voting machine company, was linked to the immense voter fraud seen in the presidential collection election in November. The story led a mob to attack the U.S. Capitol, the lawsuit claims. So, very interesting story about OANN taking in Lou Dobbs. Thank you for taking in Daddy Lou Dobbs. I hope he gets the job. But this is also also disconcerting because I think that this is the way that they're going to play it. They're going to play it that Smartmatic is going to um, sue all of the media outlets and anyone who ever talked about them playing a role in the 2020 presidential coup. They're going to threaten everyone. And because all of these media outlets are on their side anyways, they're going to fold. They're going to fold like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we we said the things that Trump said. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that we played the hearings that uh, where they laid out all of the data, the computer data, all of the findings that they had, all of the affidavits that they had. Never mind it. They're going to say, oh, we're sorry that we told those stories because Smartmatic's going to uh, sue us. We're going to fold to give the public the optic viewpoint that Smartmatic is the one who is right in this situation. But everyone knows that if they move forward with this lawsuit, and hopefully maybe people like Judy, uh, Giuliani and Powell will move forward with this lawsuit so that they can show exactly how these companies aided in the overthrowing and the coup of the 2020 presidential election. Now, the final story comes from the Epic Times. This is Barber in Washington fights fines of over $90,000 and license suspension. 
this comes from Snohomish, Washington. A barbershop owner has said he will continue to fight for his constitutional rights after being asked to cease operations and having his license revoked by the state. Bob Martin, owner of Stag Barber and Styling in Snohomish, a small town in Washington, about 35 miles northeast of Seattle, received a second cease and desist letter from the Department of Licensing recently for operating his business without a permit. Almost since the beginning of the pandemic, he has refused to close his shop or enforce mask mandates on customers. The DOL suspended Martin's cosmetology license on May 7, 2020. They revoked it for 10 years. Martin is also facing fines piling up to the limit of $90,000. But the retired Marine has responded firmly by keeping the shop open and continuing to fight for what he believes to be his constitutional rights. Martin has opened his shop in 1969 as the first tenant at the Snohomish Square shopping plaza when the town still mostly consisted of farmland. He has been giving haircuts to people both inside and out of his small hometown for over 60 years. Then the pandemic hit, forcing the 80-year-old barber to drop his scissors and close his doors. Barbershops are now open at a limited capacity, but they were shut down last spring under Washington Governor Jay Inslee's statewide order. However, Martin needed money and did not want to ask for a government handout, so he decided to resume his business last April after a two-week closure. This brought him both troubles and praise. At first, he did it secretly. He said he felt like a criminal operating his own business. On April 21, 2020, the Snohomish County Sheriff announced he would not, he would not enforce Inslee's stay-at-home order. Martin publicly opened his shop the next day. Then, in May, the Washington State DOL revoked Martin's license, which would have been valid through June 2021, and served him a cease and desist order. On the same day, the Snohomish Health District sent Martin a certified letter ordering him to stop cutting hair or face fines or possible criminal charges. Martin refused to abide by the order. The mandate is an edict that the government had. It's not a law. It was not voted on. It wasn't passed into law. And it's against the law, against the Constitution, for them to try to enforce something like that, Martin told the Epic Times. They tried to put me out of business here and fine me. And my question is, who's the injured party? I didn't hurt anybody. He said he is keeping his shop open to preserve American society and he is seeking legal assistance. I'm not going to put up with anybody that is trying to put me out of work, Martin said. Having grown up in Snohomish, Martin said he knew he would have an easy time doing business with the community because people knew who he was. Martin pointed to the framed photocopy of the Constitution hanging on his wall. The Constitution gives me the right to fight for liberty, and I took an oath to office when I went into the Marine Corps for enemies foreign and domestic. And these are domestic problems right now, he said. We don't want to have a country like China's enduring now with the communists. He keeps his door open, not just for the Constitution, but also for the sake of his family. I just want to take care of my daughter and my grandson, he said. My daughter has a brain tumor. She needs my help, and I need to help her. So she's not employed, nor is my grandson yet. He was, but he lost his job because of COVID things. So I'm the only one with the sole income, and I have to help him. In November, groups of masked men threatened to burn the shop down. Coincidentally, two to three weeks later, Martin's home caught on fire. He's currently staying in a motel with his daughter. However, after the police investigation, he doubts that it was arson. Though Martin's outspokenness has garnered him some troubles, he continues to receive an outpouring of support from the community. Some of the customers waiting in line said the governor, Inslee, only made an order, not a law. They said that's when it's a law, they will respect it. Most of them expressed their willingness to support Martin's business and enjoy the familial atmosphere the shop offers, and they have great respect for Martin. Wow, so that's quite an interesting story. That's just one of the, uh, one of the uh, collateral damage examples of the COVID-19 shampocalypse. 
or, you know, the uh, muzzle mask race that they put on everybody here. But yeah, indeed, it, it, it is indeed. And, and just how these people create edicts and they create orders, not laws. That's exactly how they also um, that's exactly what they also did in regards to the election. Whenever they change their election laws by edict or, you know, by um, but not by legislation, not by voting, not by your legislators doing it. So good examples of the way these people do and run a crooked business and how they run America crooked into the ground. All righties, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. C. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the C Report brought to you by Q&A Holes Podcast. We'll be seeing you again shortly. And until then, enjoy your time. Have a good one. Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Casares. <laughs>